Section twenty two of The Seen and the Unseen by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Ten. The Robbery on the Stormy Petrol. One. The case of the robbery on board the Stormy Petrol was notable for one thing, if for no other. In it, the Honorable Augustus Champnell received fees from three separate and indeed antagonistic individuals the honourable augustus had finished reading the morning papers and was wondering for business was slack what the day might bring forth when there came a tapping at the door and there immediately entered two servants in livery bearing between them an iron box which they placed on a chair one of them spoke as if he had been an automaton the marquis of borley's compliments to mr champnell and will mr champnell drown the box in a cistern full of water till the marquis arrives mr champnell stared and when will the marquis arrive the marquis arrived almost as soon as the servants had gone that ancient peer came hobbling into the room leaning on two sticks and as soon as he saw the box on the chair he seemed more than half disposed to back out again didn't the rascals tell you to drown the box in a cistern of water the rascals did but the marquis of bully will permit me to observe that i always require a sufficient explanation before i act on instructions which i receive from strangers with mr champnell's assistance the marquis took refuge in a chair what's your fee my lowest fee is one hundred guineas too much in the case of the marquis of bully my lowest fee will be one hundred and fifty guineas the marquis glanced up at him and leered you shall have it for your impudence the champnels always were an impudent lot find out who sent what is in that box and you shall have your hundred and fifty here's the key look inside only mind gently does it unlocking the iron box with the key the marquis gave him mr champnell found that it contained other smaller wooden boxes which were divided from each other by layers of cotton wool removing the covers of these wooden boxes he perceived that each contained what seemed to be some sort of oil can thirteen of them aren't they on counting them mr champnell discovered that the number was correct lucky number and pretty playthings every one of them all infernal machines or i am a hatter they've come raining in on me by every post if you look at them you'll see that there is a different postmark on every one of them are you certain that they are infernal machines i'll lay you ten to one in anything you like to name that they are and leave you to prove the contrary that's the extent of my certainty mr champnell only if you take my advice you'll keep them immersed in water until the thing has been shown to demonstration either one way or the other i have no desire to be blown to pieces if you have have you no sort of idea where they come from once upon a time i was fool enough to enroll myself as a member of a certain secret society i have broken since then pretty nearly every one of its rules which i swore to observe and i think it quite on the cards that these things may have come from some of the society's agents i'll tell you what i'll do instead of a hundred and fifty guineas i'll give you two hundred if you prove beyond a shadow of doubt that they don't i've come to you instead of going to the police 
because i want the thing kept private but at the same time i am particularly anxious to know if at last the beggars are beginning to try to do what they have threatened to do times without number the marquis's story was a long one and not a little involved some of mr champnell's questions he declined point-blank to answer when he had gone mr champnell still found himself in possession of very slight data to enable him to prosecute his researches he summed the data up in his mind telling himself finally that they really amounted to nothing at all and had almost resolved to write to the marquis and decline the conduct of the case unless he furnished him with fuller information on certain points on which he had refused to give any information at all when the servant came to announce that mr golden of the firm of messiahs ruby and golden was at the door and desirous of an interview a minute later mr champnell found himself face to face with the junior partner of the famous firm of jewellers a shrewd sharp-looking man who wasted no time in coming to the point i have been made the victim mr champnell of an atrocious outrage and i come to you first because the matter is one which requires delicate handling and second because the author of the outrage is a member of your own order i may add that if you succeed in this matter we may be able to place a good deal of business in your hands business of a kind which requires the intervention of a diplomatist rather than of a policeman the honourable augustus bowed you are acquainted with lord hardaway another bow from mr champnell his lordship has been a customer of ours for some time and is so largely in our debt that some months ago we felt bound to intimate that we could not allow him to add to the already large figure of his account we have recently received information through side channels that his lordship was paying his addresses to miss bonnie elise the sole child and heiress of the eminent soap boiler and ten days ago we received a letter from his lordship himself which was to the effect that he was about to start for a cruise in his yacht the stormy petrel that miss bonnie elise was to accompany him with other friends that he had hopes of making miss bonnie elise his wife and he desired us to send him at once for his inspection and the ladies a selection of the finest things we had in stock in fact he gave us to understand that matters had reached a stage in which he was anxious to make the lady a handsome present his lordship went on to add that if he married miss bonnie elise our account should receive an immediate settlement while on the other hand if he did not marry her it was quite possible that we should have to whistle the word was his lordship's own where was lord hardaway when he wrote this letter staying at miss bonnie elise's own residence in kent but the day after we received a telegram from him stating that they had decided to commence the cruise sooner than they had originally intended that the day following they would be off deal on board the yacht and that the goods were to be sent on board to be examined the telegram also contained what seemed to me under the circumstances to be a somewhat brutal intimation to the effect that if we did not telegraph a reply to say that the goods would be sent off at once the order would be placed elsewhere did you send the goods 
my impulse was to telegraph a refusal in several little matters lord hardaway had not used us altogether well and it seemed to me that in this matter he was not using us altogether well either there was no necessity for instance for him to threaten us with the loss of his custom my partner however mr ruby would not hear of a refusal he was naturally unwilling to lose the business which would be associated with what would probably be one of the weddings of the season on one point i did stand firm as i feared that if he was the bearer of the goods mr ruby would quite probably allow himself to be wheedled out of them without receiving any satisfactory promise of payment i resolved to take the goods myself which i did do mr golden paused at this point of his narrative which he had reached a certain uneasiness seemed to possess him it was about midday when i reached deal it was both blowing and raining and what i should have called a regular gale was on a sailor with the word stormy petrol on his cap came to me at the station and when i told him who i was informed me that we must go off to the yacht at once because his lordship had resolved to weigh anchor if i did not arrive by that train i had never been to deal in my life before and i had some idea that the yacht might be anchored to the pier but when i got down to the beach i found that there was no pier and the sailor pointing to what was merely a speck on the horizon said there's the stormy petrel when he said that and i saw that the yacht was heaven knows how far from land if i had not felt that the fellow was covertly grinning at me and that i should never have heard the last of it from ruby i should have come straight back to town which would have been a wiser thing than what i actually did do i entrusted myself in a cranky boat to the mercy of the literally foaming billows again mr golden paused it might have been imagination but it seemed to the honourable augustus that at the mere recollection of that experience of the horrors of the ocean mr golden became a little yellow i am not ashamed mr champnell to own that i am no sailor i have felt qualms upon the thames what i suffered in that cockle-shell of a boat tossed hither and thither amidst that seething mass of waters i don't know if it was blowing or raining hardest i will not now attempt to describe when i reached the stormy petrel i was more dead than alive lord hardaway received me on deck he was evidently suffering no inconvenience from the weather hello golden he said you're looking queer if my lord i answered i am looking as queer as i feel i must be looking very queer indeed i had no idea before i left town that such a storm was raging storm he said you don't call this a storm it's only a cap full of wind come below and have a peg i went downstairs and i had some brandy then i must have had another attack of illness because the next thing i can remember is lord hardaway clapping me on the shoulder and exclaiming i say golden where are those jewels of yours once more there was a break in mr golden's narrative he seemed to be oppressed by the weight of his recollections it will give you mr champnell an adequate idea of my physical condition when i tell you that until that moment i had forgotten that i had the jewels on me 
and when i add that i had taken with me from town jewels to the gross value of nearly twenty thousand pounds you will understand what that statement means they were contained in a locked leather case which was attached to a steel belt which was locked about my waist the keys both of the belt and of the case were in a secret pocket of my waistcoat see here unbuttoning his waistcoat mr golden disclosed a tiny pocket which was ingeniously contrived in the lining when his lordship spoke i put my hand to my waist and found that the belt and case had gone and not only so my waistcoat was unbuttoned and the keys had vanished my lord i cried as i staggered to my feet i've been robbed by jove he exclaimed if i didn't think so come along golden the thief has just gone overboard with the spoil if you don't look alive he'll get clear away you will understand mr champnell that i was disorganized both in mind and body really incapable in fact of collecting my thoughts i allowed his lordship to drag me up above it seemed to me when i got into the open air that the storm was raging worse than ever and taking me to the side of the deck he pointed out a solitary individual who was rowing away from the ship in a little boat there's the thief i thought there was something suspicious about the way in which he came sneaking up from below before we knew what he was up to he had dropped into his boat and was off if you look alive golden you'll catch him yet red-handed the boat in which i had come from shore was still alongside and before i had a chance to collect my scattered senses his lordship had not only bundled me into it but the boat itself was pushed off from the yacht we chased that boat which contained the solitary rower as it appeared to me for hours i will not dilate on what i still continue to suffer but through all my agony i urged the rowers in pursuit as soon as we were within hailing distance i shouted to the fellow stop directly i did so standing up in his boat he dropped something into the sea i distinctly saw that he dropped something but what he was too far off for me to see when we reached him he declared that he had merely thrown overboard some rubbish but why he had chosen that singularly inopportune moment he did not condescend to explain we took him in tow he seeming not at all unwilling and at last we reached the land how thankful i was to do so no one but myself can have the faintest conception hardly had i set foot on terra firma than i became convinced that i had been duped from first to last the fellow we had chased turned out to be an honest simple fisherman who had been employed to take a telegram from the post office to the yacht and who protested that he had never left his boat and that he knew nothing of my belt or case i believed and i believe him i have no doubt whatever that lord hardaway was himself the thief i would have instituted a prosecution directly i returned to town only ruby would not hear of it mr ruby is always fearful of anything in the shape of a scandal a week has passed we have heard nothing of his lordship or of the jewels that at present is how the matter stands what is it you wish me to do to see that the jewels are returned to us and in default we must either have the jewels or a guarantee of payment a sufficient guarantee 
or we prosecute here is a list of the jewels that are missing with the several values attached mr golden handed the honourable augustus a sheet of paper you perceive that it is a matter which requires delicate handling quite so where is lord hardaway now no one seems to have the least idea as you are aware the weather has been very boisterous during the last few days and for all any one seems to know he and the stormy petrel may be at the bottom of the sea together altogether for us it is a pleasant state of things was miss bonnie elise on board she was not it appears only too probable that the whole business was a deliberately planned conspiracy as i told you at the beginning mr champnell i have been made the victim of an atrocious outrage End of section 22